Hello, everyone. This is Chad Dotson. You're listening to Red Leg Nation Radio. This is episode number 138. With me is my friend and yours, Bill Lack. How are you today, Bill? Well, at least yours. I don't know about anybody else. <laughs> you, you do have at least one friend. I have one, but I pay him, I pay him a lot of money. Well, that's the way it works uh, sometimes when you, when you need a friend. Uh, you know, the, the Reds are still playing baseball, Bill. Yeah, and some days it's a little better than others. That's true. Right now, they're uh, as we record this, 32-54 and 54 in last place, 20 and a half games behind uh, out of first place. That's uh, probably about I, what we expected, but that's not good, is it? I, I don't think we're going to catch them. You think the Reds are out, even out of the wild card race? I think we've been eliminated. <laughs> oh, come on, Bill. Have a little optimism here. And uh, <laughs> Yeah, you know what an optimistic guy I am. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, it's been a, you know, it's been a rough year, but there are some always uh, some interesting storylines around the Reds. Uh, this week, we had, uh, just looking, looking at the news of the week, Adam Duvall. Uh, what, Adam Duvall made his uh, first all-star team. He is... Uh, also going to be participating in the Home Run Derby. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a continuation of what's been a really nice story. A guy that was sort of a throw-in on the uh, Mike Leak trade last year and, and in his first uh, first full season as a starter in the big leagues, he's uh, on the All-Star team. Uh, yeah, I, I'm real happy for the kid. Uh, you know, is he a great player? No, he's not going to be a great player. You know, he's 27 already, and he's really getting his first regular time in the big leagues. But, you know, he's having a good year. Uh, you know, and, and, and his numbers are pretty phenomenal considering how low his on-base percentage and how high his slugging percentage is. And, and I think he's got more extra base hits than regular hits or something like, you know, than, than singles. Oh, yeah, yeah, uh, quite a few more. Uh, doubles, yeah. and I think he has one triple and uh, between doubles, home runs, and that triple. It's yeah. al- almost double. Yeah, you know, but you know when you're when you're spanking an on base percentage of two eighty nine, you you know you're you're not gonna your ceiling's pretty low. <laughs> but but you know what? Good for this kid. I mean, he's getting a ch- he got a chance to play, and this is what we talk about all the time. He got a chance to grab a hold of a job, and he grabbed a hold of it. He did. I mean, at the beginning of the season, he was supposed to supposedly going to be in a platoon with Scott Shebler in left field, and, there, and he just grabbed it. He grabbed it from the almost the very beginning. He ran Shebler all the way to Louisville. Yeah, and, and Shebler's hitting home run after home run in Louisville, but, you know, his, that spot's taken now in the big leagues. we got an all-star in left field. And you're right about the on-base percentage is low, and, and there are lots of reasons to think this guy's not going to be your starting left fielder for the next seven years, as you might hope from a – a first-year all-star, but I'm like you. Forget about that. It's a great story. you got to feel good for Adam Duvall, who's uh, just – he must be living the dream right now. I mean, he really wasn't even sure he'd come into spring training that he had a spot on the the Major League roster. And and here we are in July, and he's got a a spot on the all-star team. He's, He's what, second in the league in home runs or third in the league in home runs? Yeah. yeah, and he's been tied for first uh, within the last couple weeks, and he's dropped to second, I think, now. But yeah, it's just a, it's it's an incredible story, and, and not even that, you know, he's he's going to be in the home run derby where in the semifinals he might face our old friend Todd Frazier. Yeah, I, and before we hit the home run derby, I also want to say something about the, the, his defense. You know, he's played a pretty good left field, considering he's never been, really played left field before. It's really amazed me because the knock on him was that he was a butcher defensively. He, he could not stick in San Francisco with any regularity in the lineup because he was so bad at third base, which was where he, his previous position was. And so I expected nothing out of him as a left fielder. And you're absolutely right. He's been not just adequate. He's been actually good. Pretty good, yeah. yeah. So, you know, here's that. You know, and, and moving on to the home run derby, I, I'm not a big fan of it. And I don't think it's going to, especially somebody that's as young as he is and has had little major league experience, I'm not convinced it's not going to send him into a tailspin in the second half, as it did Todd last year. But whether, you know, but who knows whether it's home run derby that does that or just the season getting along and your team being terrible. Uh, but, you know, if, if he wants to do it and he gets a kick out of it, you know, he may never get this opportunity again. You sure can't blame him. 
that's sort of the way I look at it. And of course, you know, Frazier last year, there has been an argument that it did do something, but he he was slumping going into the home run derby already. But with Duvall, you're right. When's he ever going to make another All Star team? He may make five All Star teams. I don't know, but uh, I wouldn't be surprised if this were his only shot at it. And uh, you know, he, what I'm concerned about is he's probably due to come back to. Uh, ground level at some point anyway. He, you know, it seems like he's playing a little above his above his head anyway compared to what his numbers have been in the past. And yep. uh, whether it's blamed on the home run derby or not, there's a chance that he he's, he's due to crash back to earth a little bit. Um, yeah, I was looking uh, talking about Duvall and whether he's going to be a, a long time All Star. Uh, I don't think either of us believe that's the case. But I, I was looking at which players had played fewer games. In the big leagues, which Reds in the past had played fewer games in the big leagues when uh, they made their first All Star game, and of position players, only five guys have played fewer games. Uh, is Chris Sabo one of them? Chris Sabo is one of them. He uh, he only he only played seventy seven uh, major league That's games. That's what I kind of like in Duvall's career too, and I and I say the same thing about Frazier. You know, they got to the big leagues late. They peaked real quick and, and, and were kind of gone before you knew it. And, and I think that's what's going to happen with this kid. Um, who, who are the other four? Uh, the, the one who played the fewest was Frank Robinson at age 20. Uh, he was pretty good. Yeah, he was not bad. Yeah, he, he did all right. Frank McCormick had played in 103 games. He was 27 at the time. and Johnny. It was a different day then, though. It was. It was. Johnny Bench... Uh, age 20, had played 105 games, and Veda Pinson, age 20. So what you got are, are three all-time Reds legends, Frank yeah, Robinson. But, yeah, but, yeah, both the last two were pretty all, – actually, all, all four of them guys were pretty good ball players. Well, they're all uh, – yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, <laughs> fantastic players. But you look if, at – If you take Sabo off that list, you're, you're, you're talking about some, you know, some all-time Reds greats. Well, Robinson, uh, Bench, and Pinson are all just uh, all-time baseball greats. Pinson, you know, not quite Hall of Fame level, but close. Um, and, and I agree with you about Sabo, actually. And I, I did a, I wrote a little piece for uh, Cincinnati Magazine this week, and that's one of the things I sort of, uh, I didn't really delve into it as much as I wanted to, but it's I alluded to the fact that of any of those, Sabo's clearly the uh, better comparison. Any guy, and I, and you brought up Frazier, which didn't even occur to me actually when I was writing that. That's a good point. You, a guy comes up that late, you know, if you can get three, four, five good years out of him, you know. That, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. Sabo had uh, made three all-star teams in his first four years, but then he reached age 30, and it was downhill from there. Um, so if we can get three, four, you know, decent, above-average seasons out of Adam Duvall, well, that's more than you would have expected for a guy who's a throw-in on a, well, on a trade deadline deal. I think if they, and we'll talk a little bit more about this later, if they end up trading Jay Bruce, they're going to need – a good year out of out of Duvall, even if they bring up Winker, because they're going to have to fill the other corner slot in the end uh, of the you know the outfield. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I think he's got an opportunity to secure a place in the Reds lineup. And it's strange to be talking about somebody, an All Star, securing a place in the Reds lineup for the next year or two. But yeah, that's, that's really where we are. And uh, I can't imagine what else he could have done other than maybe take a walk or two. Before, before you get off of this, though, you know, I, I just pulled Frank McCormick up. And, you know, he made six, uh, eight all-star teams, won the MVP once, and was in the top ten for the MVP voting three other times. So he wasn't a bad player either. Oh, no, 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 absolutely. <laughs> all, all five of the guys ahead of uh, Duvall on that list that I gave you, all five of them are in the Reds Hall of Fame. And uh, and the guy right after Duvall on the list is Adam Dunn. I, I never pass up an opportunity to talk about Adam Dunn. You know that. We love the big, the thunder, man. Yeah, we do. We love uh, the big donkey. But um, he was 22 when he made his first All Star team. He had played in 151 games, and he, he'll be in the Reds Hall of Fame uh, when he's eligible as well. So over Marty's dead body. <laughs> well, Marty doesn't get a vote, does he? Surely. <laughs> I, I think Marty gets a, a veto on everything to do with the Reds organization. But anyway, yeah, Marty gets a on. Hall of Fame line item veto. Um, but we're good. we're happy for Adam Duvall and, and wish him continued success. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. So, uh, I've said it 15 times, and the best way I can describe it is it's just a fun story. Uh, next up uh, has been in the news a little bit this week, as people are starting to talk about it uh, a little bit, is the question, and, and this was your idea to talk about this on the podcast today, it's the question of Brandon Phillips, and whether what, what should the Reds do with him? And uh, At Red Lake Nation Day, actually, Nick Carrington wrote a, a piece about it. You should go read it at redlegnation.com. But uh, I think you and I are 
we've had a little bit of a difference of opinion on Brandon Phillips over the years. I've, I've softened on him a little bit. I have a feeling our, uh, what we're going to say about Phillips and what the Reds should do with him here is going to probably be pretty similar. Well, it, 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 I've been saying that I said this at the beginning of the season that if, if they get to a point where they think Peraz is ready, then, then they're going to have some really difficult decisions to make. Uh, and especially now that Phillips is really you know str- is struggling. I mean, he's having his worst offensive year in a number of years. Uh, you know, and, and you know, history tells you with second basemen that their careers kind of fall off the cliff at some point over the age of like thirty-two, I think it is. And you know, his OPS plus right now is seventy-five. Yeah, thirty-five-year-old middle infielders don't aren't usually uh, the guys you want to depend on. Well, and he's not playing the defense that we're used to seeing from Brandon Phillips either. There's your difference. You're, you're starting to notice uh, he's still okay, but he's he's missing plays or not making plays that we've gotten so accustomed to him making over the years. It's really just it's it makes my jaw drop sometimes. Well, and the number of errors that he's that he has is is pretty amazing considering how shorthanded he's always been. And uh, the defensive metrics, you and I, we've talked about this a hundred times, and there, who knows how much to, to, to make of that. But it does sort of uh, equate to what we're seeing with our eyes. Uh, his his defensive metrics are way, way down. Um, but, you know, it's still still slightly above average, but he's just not, uh, he's not the guy we came to expect. And if he's not going to hit, we need him to play that elite defense like he used to. He Last year had a good season. You know, yes. it, it sort of a resurgent season, yeah. and it was Absolutely. good to see because he'd been in a decline. But if you take last season out, you look at uh, 2012, 2013, 2014, 2016, it's just a it's a drop off the cliff. Every, all across the board, all his numbers are just, they go it declines every year. From a 750 OPS down to 706, to 678, to 650 this year, his uh, war uh, wins above replacement totals 3.4 back in 2012, down to 2.5, then 1.6, and this year it's negative 0.5. He's below replacement level uh, at at second base for the Reds. Uh, so the question, the options are. I bet he's still the last. I bet he's still the last guy on the field every every game. <laughs> you bet. You 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 never miss an opportunity to point that out, and it is. It's a fact. It's it's one of my things. Yeah, I know. Uh, I don't blame you, but uh, and he's also. I think we're going to talk about Brian Price in a moment, but he's also been batting third for much of this season uh, as a below-replacement-level yeah. player. So your options are these. Number one, if you can convince somebody to take him. Yeah, good luck with that. Uh, at this point, convince him to accept the deal. The Reds obviously had two trades worked out for him in the offseason. He declined both because he has no trade rights, being what they call a 10-5 and five guy. He's been in big leagues for 10 years and with the same team for five. And... Uh, yeah, good luck with that. One way that it might be uh, amenable to him is if you tell him, if you don't accept it, then you're going to the bench and we're going to start Parazza every day. Um, I, I think that's what should happen anyway. I, I hate to see this whole, uh, he's, a, he's a Reds Hall of Famer. He's going to be. Yep. Um, I hate to see the relationship sour at the end, but it makes no sense not to be getting Parazza. Well, and I, and I think we, we we I think we previewed this exact problem before the season uh, when we and I think we talked about this. And my the concern is the damage that Phillips could do to this clubhouse if he's a dissatisfied player on the bench. Um, he's not the most mature gentleman in the world, as you know we as we can attest uh, through you know Twitter and tirades and everything else. Uh, but I think the Reds need to, they, they should try to do whatever they can do to avoid eating $20 million, which is what they still owe this guy. I think they're going to have to eat that no matter what. I, you know, even if, if they can find somebody to take him, they're, I imagine they're going to have to pay a substantial amount of that. Yeah, they're going to eat a bunch of it. Yeah. But I, I don't think, you know, I don't th- who would want him? I mean, that's the problem. They had a contender. The Washington Nationals wanted him before the season. Uh, and he could be, uh, they're lucky. That they didn't get him because they got uh, Murphy at second base now. He's playing great, but uh, yeah, he could have been playing for a contender right now and playing for his old buddy Dusty, and uh, and now he's crazy. It's, it's kind of the reverse Jay Bruce. You know, Jay Bruce's trade value was low, and he's rebuilt it over the last three months. And Brandon Phillips's trade value, I, I imagine we don't have any inside information, but I imagine it has to have cratered over yeah. the last uh, three months. And it probably wasn't that high to begin with. Probably not. Probably not. So you trade him for what you can get. 
really, your three options are trade him if you can. And we've talked about why that may not be the case. You may not be able to. Put him on the bench, let Parazza play. you got to talk Brandon into not blowing the whole thing up in the clubhouse if you do that. Although, if he does blow it in the clubhouse, well, you know, what do you, you go Then you have to go to option three, which is you just cut him loose. Just get rid of him. I mean, you, if you're going to have to pay that $20 million or whatever anyway, it's a sunk cost. Let- Yep, you can't you can't let it damage the, the future of the ball club. Right, you know, let the damage he can do to young players and, and 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 you know psyches and all that stuff. You know, so. But yeah. uh, we, we've already talked about Brandon Phillips longer than we should. I agree. Let's go into one uh, more quick thing before we move on to our next segment. Uh, and that's the fate of Brian Price and his coaching staff. What, what do you think is going uh, to? Well, I was I was surprised at the move last weekend when they fired. The pitching coach. I was too, Mark Riggins. Yeah, I, I didn't. I don't. I mean, I'm not going to say that the pitching staff hasn't been a disappointment. Yes, it has, but it isn't all Riggins' fault. Uh, the front office, and, and actually, if you read everybody's quote from Jockety to Price to everybody else, they were all very careful not to lay this at his feet. That's true. Um, but nevertheless, the guy's out of a job. <laughs> right. uh, now he's still getting. He's still with the organization if he chooses to be. Um, the good thing that came out of that was Ted Powers finally get coaching in the big leagues um, after I think seventeen or eighteen years in Louisville. Yeah, um, but I, I think it serves no purpose to fire this coaching staff before the end of the year. I, I, I don't even think so. if, if you fire Price, what kind of? I mean, I guess you could be sending a message, but I don't really know what the message would be. I don't understand what the point of it would be. Let me talk about uh, Ted Power for a moment, though. By the way. Uh, I'm not happy about Ted Power being in Cincinnati because I actually was was going to interview him for something I'm putting together, uh, and had, <laughs> it, had it set up with Louisville, and then now he's gone from Louisville, so I'm going to have to start over again with the Reds. But uh, I'm happy for Ted. I'm very happy for Ted. Uh, you know, everybody in Louisville has uh, had nothing but good things to say about him. Um, he he gave us some time for the podcast last week, actually, and uh, he's uh, by all reports. He's always wanted to get back the, to the major leagues, but he's not complained. He's done his job in uh, in AAA, and really happy for him getting a chance. Um, good organization guy. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and, and he, you know he was a good pitcher for the Reds. Uh, for even though even though he started against the Reds, I think in the fifth game of the or the, the, the six, clinching uh, game of the, of the ninety series. Uh, game six of the uh, nineteen ninety National League Championship Series. Yep. Yeah, he, I was there. He was just oh, excellent, big big game. A nice win for the Reds. Uh, Glenn Braggs reaching over the fence. Oh, with one out in the ninth, robbing Carmelo Martinez. We're getting old, Bill. Oh, we're going to get older here in a minute, but go ahead. <laughs> that's true. That's true. <laughs> uh, but going back to Price, what's the point yeah. in firing him? Uh, you're going to pay two managers then if you do that, uh, which doesn't make any sense when you're trying to save money. You are uh, bringing somebody in who I, I don't know how anybody else could do any better with this. Maybe somebody could do better. Sparky Anderson probably would have done better with this team. Sparky Anderson would not have made this a playoff team. So, you could have put Sparky Anderson, Casey Stangle, and John McGraw in one person, and they couldn't turn this into a playoff team. Right. So, you know, <laughs> Price, that's no doubt about it. And not that we're saying that Price is a, is a mixture of those three, but he's in hamstrung from day one. They, they gutted the roster on him. Uh, he's really never had a chance. I think he's probably released after the year, and they'll have somebody coming in. Coming in next year, uh, I don't know who, but I don't know who would want to take over this team after they're going to lose a hundred games. Uh, you know, there's a lot. Of, you know, you hear the local talk about Barry Larkin. Why in the world would Barry Larkin want to take this team over? Zero chance of that is, is my prediction. Zero I, chance. I think they bring up the Shields for a couple of years and let him. They hang a hundred losses on him. You know, next year and hopefully you know eighty the year after, and then they fire him, and then maybe you get somebody. When the team's headed in the right direction, and that—that's when you'll get a guy that you really think uh, can can be the manager for the next good Reds right. team. If they're if they're on, you know, they've they've said a few times we think 2018 was when we can be competitive again. Anyway, if they really believe that, my suggestion would be keep Brian Price around uh, next year, because if you're just going to lose, if unless you think he's actively harming. Your young guys, your young pitchers especially. He's doing something that's helping them not to develop. He's getting in the way of progress. But yeah, if, the, if not, let him take the losses. The only problem with that is you got to sell tickets. Uh, well, that's true, but I mean, are the, is Delano DeShields going to sell tickets? Maybe getting rid of Price, just doing that, 
I, I think that's the, I think that's the selling point. Is you know we're, we're you know we're making a change. I hate it because I actually think Price has been not terrible uh, as a manager. He just he's he's been worse than I thought he'd be. Uh, maybe, thought, but he's also done some things that I didn't that I wouldn't never have seen from any previous Reds manager. You know, hitting Votto second, uh, hitting Billy Hamilton ninth when he was struggling. I mean, yeah. thinking outside the box a little bit. You know, he does the same dumb stuff as well that we see, and his usage of the bullpen is questionable. Not that he has a bullpen this year, but not this year. Yeah, so yeah, I don't know. Um, I think he's probably gone, and I think that the reason that you stated uh, ticket sales might be as good a reason as any because there's a big contingent. We get it at uh, people tweet at uh, Red Leg Nation every single day. Fire price, fire price. And, uh, well, and they had a huge drop off in season ticket sales from last year to this year because of the you know the All Star Game, right? Yeah, and and it'll it'll drop even more if you if you're looking for good season tickets. My guess is you'll have a pretty pretty good selection after this season. Yeah, lots of good seats available. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, let's move on to our next segment, Bill, uh, which is the question okay. question of the week. And this week's question of the week, I say this week's is the first time we've uh, we've used this segment, but it's going to be a recurring feature. Jay Bruce and Zach Cozart, there's lots of talk about whether they're going to be traded at the trade deadline at the end of this month. Are Jay Bruce and Jack Cozart future members of the Reds Hall of Fame? You want to take a stab at that, or you want me to take a first Did you say Jack Cozart or Zach Cozart? Because I didn't know if he had a brother. I hope I said Zach. Because <laughs> <laughs> Jack Cozart's not getting anywhere near the Reds Hall of Fame. Because uh, I say one yes and one no. I, uh, I think Bruce is a no-doubter. Um, I, I think Zach Cozart is, a, and he's in my wife's Hall of Fame because she loves him because she thinks he's the most gorgeous man and she's ever seen in a red uniform. Uh, I can't argue with that. But um, you know, he's he's a, he's just another short. You know, he's just another player. He, he, he's no nothing else. You know, there's nothing about him to put him in the Reds Hall of Fame. Now that's not to say that we don't have players in the Reds Hall of Fame that were just average players. I think Tommy Helms is in the Reds Hall of Fame. Yeah. I, I, I'm not positive of that, but I believe so. Oh, I think he is, yeah. And Tommy Helms was no great shakes either, even though he won a rookie of the year. Uh, and a guy like Ron Oster, who, you know, good yeah. Cincinnati guy. Probably. He's a Cincinnati, yeah, he's a Cincinnati kid, and that sure gives you a leg up. It does, it does. Um, I think you're right about Cozart, except uh, I will add this. I wouldn't vote for him for the Reds Hall of Fame, for whatever that's worth. Uh, and, and, and what it takes to get in the Reds Hall of Fame is sort of nebulous because yeah. – like you said, there are people that probably shouldn't be in, um, and guys like I, who I think should definitely be in, like Reggie Sanders, who who aren't in. Freddie Norman. Freddie Norman, yeah, absolutely. Um, and that that could be one of our that could be one of our segments sometime is which Reds that aren't in the Hot Reds Hall of Fame should be. All right, hold on, let me make that note. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but but about Cozart, I don't think he's a Reds Hall of Famer. He's had a, a. He's been in Cincinnati. This is his fifth year as, a, as the starting shortstop, which is impressive. Any you know, any guy sticking around as a starting shortstop for any team for five years is, is impressive. I think he has been seriously underrated and undervalued as a Red, just because his defense since day one has been as good as any other shortstop in the league, in my opinion. Well, the other thing is, you're coming into Cincinnati to play shortstop. You're <laughs> yeah. following in three pretty big sets of shoes. Oh, unbelievable! Absolutely, uh, and and it's hard to live up. It's hard to live up to the the, the ones that came before, especially uh, Barry Larkin and uh, and Davey Concepcion. Davey Concepcion, and, and even before that, Leo Cardenas was a pretty good player. Absolutely, yeah. So the Reds have a long history of uh, of good shortstops, and and Cozart's been a good shortstop. He's been a a valuable player for this team since he got here. You know, uh, I think his defense has been valuable. I think his offense has been. Decent the last year, year. Yeah, and oftentimes awful. Yeah. Yeah, and oftentimes awful. But, uh, but, but you know, he's been between a two and three win player by WAR every every year, uh, thanks basically to his defense mostly. But yeah, uh, and that's bumped up now that he's been hitting. So, uh, but, you know, it's a uh, maybe he's maybe he's one of those few guys that's learned how to hit at the big league level, and and if so. You know, when it, when they trade him, he'll he, he can still have a number of good years. I, I'm I'm not sure exactly how old he is right now. He's thirty. He's thirty. So he's got you know, shorts up. He's probably got maybe three years left, maybe four. Oh, he could be a he could he could really help a, a contender that might want to trade for him at the deadline. I think he could, yep. 
I think he should be the number one shortstop that's available out there, and, and he's having a, a fantastic season. I've got zero complaints about his season. Yeah. Um, just uh, I'm a big fan, huge fan of Zach Cozart, and uh, have been one for a while because of the glove, and now now he's hitting. I hate to see him go, but I'm I'm not going to offer a uh, contract extension to a 30 year old shortstop. I just no, you just you just can't. Not right? not where the Reds are now. If the Reds were going to be competing for a pennant next year, I might think about it because he's steady. Um, well, and, and you're hearing, you're hearing, and there's some people. Uh, uh, Steve put a, wrote a really nice article on on the website for about Jay Bruce, and uh, there are people on there that saying they should extend Jay, and and, and I, I just can't see it, um, I, and it kills me because I'm a I'm, I'm a big Jay Bruce fan for all the reasons that Steve talked about in the article is both for what he's done on the field and the way he holds himself off the field. Great representative of the organization. Just- yeah. Unbelievable, you know, and, and nobody when he struggles, you know, nobody struggles with him more than I do. Um, but by the time they're going to be contenders again, you're going to have you, you'd be too heavily invested in Jay, and between Jay and Votto for the money you'd have to spend, I think we can spend the money better elsewhere. Well, I'm on the other side of that argument, which I'll discuss in a moment. But I want to agree with you first that yes, I think Jay Bruce is a no doubt absolute. Uh, Slam dunk, Hall, Reds Hall of Famer. He's, First ballot, whenever he's they decide he's you know going to be on the ballot, I think he'll. Yeah, he's he's seventh in uh, team history in home runs. He's uh, top fifteen in team histories in doubles and RBIs. He, he has more home runs than any player ever at Great American Ballpark. Uh, Joey Votto is liable to pass him up on all those lists, but um, but Jay Bruce is an you know he's a he's a Reds legend. I mean, I think you can say it. He's going to be a Reds Hall of Famer. I think that qualifies you to be a. He's not a baseball legend, maybe, but he's he's a, he's been a very good player. He's, he's not been a good player. But the, and, and I say, as Steve, I think said in the, in, the, in his writing, the, the, the problem is he's never reached the the levels that he was expected to reach because of how well he played in the minor leagues. And that's so unfair to him to judge him on that because you know uh, playing major league baseball is hard, and and he's been an above average player and. Are we really gonna, you know, hammer him for not being better than he is? I mean, it's just, he is what he is. But uh, I, I'm I'm one of the guys who, and and I will admit right up front that I would be a terrible general manager because I'm too much. Uh, I let my heart get in the way of my head a little bit too much. But I, I'm talking myself into the Reds, uh, seeing if they can sign Jay for four years, if he'll if he'll agree to some contract for four years. How much would you? What would you be looking at? You know? I don't know. It's not my money. Uh, you know, um, and you, give, you just hand him a check and let him I, fill it. In. I'd let him fill it out. I just because I think there, I can see a scenario where the Reds really could compete here in a couple years. I well, really, I really can see that. And he, Jay Bruce is just twenty nine years old. And, and and to go against my own argument here, it's not like there there's bats backed up to Double A in in this organization. Exactly. That's absolutely what I, uh, where, where I was going with this. We don't have any really ready-made solutions now. I guess if you think Jesse Winker is going to be ready soon, and he's uh, been injured a little bit, but he is he's he's ready. And if you think Adam Duvall is a long-term answer, well, there's a couple of corner outfielders. But uh, yeah, yeah, that's a big but. I mean, I, I still think I still think you got quite you know. And you and I disagreed about this. We were talking about it on social media. You know, you're you're Billy Hamilton starting to win you over. Oh, I love me some Billy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you gotta love Billy. Come on, man. Oh gosh, he was he was named after you. I've got a javelin that weighs more than Billy. <laughs> not it's not as fast. <laughs> it is when you throw it. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Um, anyway, I don't want to get off on Billy Hamilton, but, but <laughs> what I'm saying is, we've got if you trade Bruce, you got questions all over in the outfield. Because as much as you love your Billy, you're you're not going to tell me that he's a short thing in center field. I'm not ready to offer Billy Hamilton a, a long term contract. Okay, no. So, so I, you know, I, I understand your point, but it would also depend on what I'd be. I'd be dangling Bruce and Cozart, and I'd be trying to get outfield bats. That's what I'd be looking for. Yeah. So you don't know what they're they they might bring, and it might be a guy playing in AAA. You know, which, you know, which isn't a short thing. God knows, it's it's not. But I agree. I, I think that the the way it makes sense. Well, there are two ways it makes sense. Number one, if if Bruce is just going to cost more than you really is, whatever he's going to cost, is it enough to where in three years he and Votto are commanding so much 
that this just really doesn't make sense, then I think, you know, financially you probably have to, have, if you think you can't sign him for something reasonable, and I'm not talking about asking Jay to take a some kind of a hometown discount or something. Jay's, you know, he'll he'll get what he, he's, he has every right to ask for whatever he thinks he's worth. Um, but I think if you look three years down the road and you think, ah, they're taking up 40% of the of the budget, that's probably not uh well, and, and Vada's salary is going to be, you know, unless the budget can, you know, rise as much, it's going to be a healthy percentage of it just on his own. Right, right. So then you're talking about tying up two guys for a lot of it. Uh, that, that, in that sense, it doesn't make a whole lot of uh, sense to. You're letting your, you're letting, here you are with your heart in your hand again. Uh, I know, I know. But <laughs> if I can't, if, if I, if I'm on, he's on the trade market and we think he's rebuilt his value. Um, and maybe he has. I, we don't know what the market is for him. If you can get a young outfield hitter, a yeah, stud. some kind of yeah. I mean, somebody that you think can be a guy that could possibly I mean, be in your outfield for the next five, six, seven years. Well, yeah, I mean, do it. And the flip side of what you were just talking about is, you know, now that he's rebuilt his trade value, his price tag goes up. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> he, he might be able to command more in, in trade, uh, and that, that would sort of lean towards the idea that they should trade him. Another part of why he could be valuable in the trade market is he actually has another full year on his contract. Right. So he's that, got an option year, I believe. Yeah. So whatever team trades for him gets a year and a half of him. The thing that I can't figure out is why his defense has dropped off so badly. Uh, I I don't think it has. I think it has dropped I, off. I, well, I'm, I'm just going by your defensive metrics. <laughs> I know we've had that argument. You know, I, I'm not a big fan, and and and, I, and that's what I was going to say because I I don't see it to the eyeball test. I saw a couple of scouts today. Uh, Fangraphs actually had a piece just today on Jay Bruce's defense and how the eye test doesn't match what these defensive metrics are saying. And and I think the conclusion was sort of, yes, since his, uh, that knee injury in 2014, his defense has declined. But, it's number one, it's not nearly as bad as what the metrics say it is. Uh, number two, it's mostly just because he really evidently struggles going back on balls. That's almost entirely where the defensive metrics are hammering him. Everything else, he's still... Uh, a decent uh, average outfielder, at least, and I think that having Billy Hamilton beside him makes those numbers look uh, worse as well, because Hamilton covers can cover like six, seven miles uh, in the in the outfield. What is he out there on a golf cart? <laughs> I'm telling you. Listen, I'm going to get you on the Billy Hamilton bandwagon before it's over, Bill. <laughs> yeah, you said that about Brandon Phillips too. <laughs> yeah, well, that was a little bit more difficult than anyone would have imagined. Uh, so, but you know, the no, Mexican- I'm not anti Billy. I'm just not. Uh, he's going to have to hit a lot better to, to to get to win me over. Sure, you're not a believer yet. I think that's reasonable. I think that's completely reasonable. Uh, the, the 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 other part about his trade value is if the teams believe that those defensive metrics are correct, what does that do to his value? I guess it only takes one trade partner to think that he's uh, Bruce is a valuable player. But you know, there's so, so many variables here. I think you explore every option. Um, I think everybody's just assuming that he needs to be traded. I personally don't believe that's the case, but I think there are really good arguments on both sides of it, and the Reds need to do what's going to provide the most value for this team over the next, you know, four years. Yeah, whatever that is, and I, and I don't know the answer right now. And, and 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 the other thing is, we don't really know who's making those decisions right now. I don't think things are sort of in flux in the yeah, Reds front you know, office. You, you know, you're, the media and they're starting to talk to to Williams more. But you're still seeing Jockety's name pop up. So, you know, whether they're working together, whether one's working for the other, whether they're – who knows? Yeah, and I, I really wonder – I'd love to be a fly on the wall in the uh, Reds' front office. During this offseason and going into next season as uh, Dick Williams is the official – well, he's the official general manager now, but he'll officially be taking over all the duties after this season. But, you know, Jockety's still in the room. Jockey's still going to be there uh, as team president, and I just wonder what that dynamic's going to be like, whether Williams has a little bit more free reign or if he's still – I don't know. It, it'll be interesting to see. I, I think if, there are reasons if, to hope that Williams will be a good general manager. And if push comes to shove, who's, who's Castellini back? Right, yeah, and, and I would be surprised if it were uh, anyone other than your buddy, Walt Jockety. And the only thing I will say about Williams, and I may have said this in the past on here, is that when I talked to Chris Welsh about, he was really happy about this guy getting this job. He really thought he was an up-and-coming GM. Yeah, I think that uh, I've had a little bit of correspondence with him, been very pleased with what, I, with what I've heard. I don't I don't know Dick Williams. I can't say that, but I um, have had a chance to meet him and talk with him briefly. I, I, I don't know what to think. 
I, of course, Chris's, Chris Welsh's opinion means a lot uh, to me as I know it does to you and always has. Yeah. Uh, he sort of tells it like it is uh, and is uh, makes a pretty good call on these things usually. So that goes a long way with me. But who knows? Is he going to have free reign, number one, number two? Uh, how I don't know. Uh, how much is he into the analytics? Uh, he's open-minded, it seems like. I, until there's evidence to show me otherwise, I choose to be optimistic about Dick Williams. Um, mostly because, you know, he and I were uh, students at the University of Virginia at the same time. Did you know that, Bill? No, I didn't. And, you know, boy, I, that really wins me over. <laughs> we, our, year, our time there overlapped by, I think, one year. Uh, he's a little older than me, but, uh, yeah, we're both of us uh, University of Virginia Cavaliers, so clearly this guy's smart. I mean, we, we know that if he's, if he's a UVA guy. Of course he is. <laughs> the only thing would have been better if he had gone to Georgetown. Oh, gosh, man, let's not get crazy here. <laughs> <laughs> so, so the question of the week was, are uh, Jay Bruce and Zach Cozart future members of the Reds Hall of Fame? I think we agreed one vote uh, or two votes for yes uh, for Jay Bruce. And two votes for probably not for Zach Kozar. Other than other than my wife's Hall of Fame in the in the sexy red Hall of Fame, I guess uh, Zach Kozar makes a, it. He's a first ballot winner. First ballot inner circle Reds Hall of Famer. Uh, all right, let's move on to our uh, our final segment uh, of the podcast. And the last time uh, you and I were here, before you decided to take vacations and uh, all that stuff you like to do, How, somebody's got to do it. Yeah, I guess so. How's Key West the, this time of year? Hot. As it always. was hot. It was. It was. If it wasn't the hottest it's ever been when we were down there, it was the second hottest it's ever been for most of the week. But then on Sunday, the weather broke and it was beautiful, which happened to be the day we went out on the water, so it was really nice. Nice, nice. Well, the last time you were here, we talked about uh, instituting a new segment called uh, what well, we've decided to call it Team Retrospective, and what we talked about was let's pick a team from Red's history and just uh, just talk about them, uh, try to remember them a little bit. Now I can't remember this team. Uh, since they were before I was born, but uh, so, I'm sorry, I had to had to throw that in, Bill. Yeah, you did. <laughs> but today we're going to talk about the 1970 Cincinnati Reds, and of course the 1970 Reds, led by uh, Sparky Anderson, his first year, first season as uh, manager of the of the Reds, and led them to a 102 and 60 record, 102 wins, uh, National League Championship, uh, beat the and Pirates, they won, and they won 70 of their first 100 games. Wow, that's not a bad start to a managerial career, is it? They were seventy-two and thirty-four at the end of July, just for a comparison. And this Reds team is going to be thirty-two and seventy-four at the end of but, July. No, if the Cubs wanted to equal that by the end of July, they'd have to go twenty. When I looked the other day, they'd have to go twenty and three in July. Wow, uh, and that says something, especially when you consider that that team, as good as it was, did not win the World Series. They swept the National League Championship Series, three to nothing over the Pirates. And then lost uh, in that, uh, lost in five games uh, in that uh, memorable World Series to the Baltimore Orioles, the Brooks Robinson series. I always think of it as. Yep. A um, couple other things before we get too deep into this. So Sparky was only thirty-six when he took over the Big Red Machine. Now he looked a lot older. <laughs> yeah, he always looked older. But, but he but he was only thirty-six when he took over the Reds. And I think when you start talking about the, the 70 Reds, you really have to go back to 69. Um, Dave Bristol had been the manager. The Reds had come in third in, in the 69, four games out, in a great pennant race, uh, which is chronicled in our, our favorite book, Ball Four. Oh, absolutely, yes. Um, after the season, Bob Housel made a trade. They traded Alex Johnson, who had been the Reds' left, starting left fielder. And had a pretty good year in 69. Yeah, and a good hitter, terrible outfielder. Mm-hmm. Traded him to the Angels for a guy named Jim McLaughlin, who was a big wheel, a big spoke in the wheel of the, the 70 uh, team, and a guy named Pedro Borbone, who had a few pretty good years for the Reds. <laughs> yeah, one or two, absolutely. Um, the other thing you got to remember about the 70 teams, that was the year that we transferred from, from Crosley Field to Riverfront Stadium in the middle of the season. Yeah, started the year at Crosley Field, and I think after the All-Star break, or maybe it was the beginning of... End of June. End of June. End of June. 30th, I think, was the first game at, at, at Riverfront. Something like that. Um, they played They played 700 baseball at home that year. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. Um, they, they played 500 better against everybody in the National League that year except the Cubs and the Padres. Their longest losing streak on the season was four games. Golly. 
That's a, uh, that, that's an average week for this current Reds. Yeah. The things you got to remember, but there, there were some interesting things about this team, though. Um, it was the end of Jim Maloney's career, basically. He blew his Achilles tendon out early in the season. You wonder how, you know, he, he was only 30 years old. Uh, you wonder how good, if he hadn't done that, I mean, in 69, he still put up a 277 ERA. We talk about some of the, like Eric Davis, what might have been. To me, right. Jim Maloney's a big time what might have been. What if he'd been healthy uh, in, on that big red machine for the yeah. next you know, few even years? If, even if he'd, he probably couldn't have got the 75 and 76, but he could have gotten through to 73 maybe. Sure, and he would help those teams uh, in 70, 72, 73. And the other, the other biggest, the biggest what if on this team is a guy named Wayne Simpson. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Uh, he went, his career was, so he had a, a career in 70 of, his ERA plus was 139. Wow. He was 14 and 3 with a 3.02 ERA, and it was basically, he was done by the end of July. Yeah. He threw, but he threw 176 innings by the end of, basically by the end of July. 14 and 3. Uh, struck and out if, 119 batters. I mean. And if and if you, and he walk he walked and that's the other problem he walked a lot of guys he had eighty one walks I mean he he averaged you know four walks a game but if you look at his his uh, game log I think he threw a two hit shutout on his first start in the big leagues which always reminded me of Johnny Cueto who I think did something along the same lines um but the the the, the pitching staff on that on that seventy team as much as it was it was beat up and by by the, by the end of the season by the time the playoffs rolled around. They were pretty beat up. I remember that because this was my this was my first favorite Reds team. I was twelve, and I I got hooked on baseball in '69 because of ball a lot of because of ball four, you know, which came out in '70. But I, I remember that pennant rates in '69 really well. But this '70 team was really my first favorite Reds team. But the pitching staff led the National League in wins and saves, was second in ERA. And shutouts and hits and earned runs, and third in the league in, in home runs. The average age of the pitching staff in 1970 was 25. And probably their worst starting pitcher won 20 games. Yeah, it was the guy that won 20 games. <laughs> right, Jim Merritt uh, went 20 and 12. Yep, uh, 4.08 ERA. And I think he was the only left-hander, if I remember right, in the rotation. Well, you had you had Simpson at twenty one and Gary Nolan, another what might have been uh, at yeah. uh, twenty two years old that year. Yeah. I always think that about about Nolan, and, and he missed at least a he missed one full year I think in seventy four, and, and parts of other years. But he still had a pretty daggone career. And you talk about a guy that reinvented himself as a pitcher. He went from a guy that was striking out 200 guys a year to, to a guy that was striking out 70 guys a year or something along those lines. I mean, he became a, a soft tosser on the big red machine. And, and was successful doing that, but his career was over at 29. I mean, yeah, uh, never saw the heights that we expected at ages 19, 20, 21, 22. But. You know, but this team also had a, had a great bullpen. I mean, they had three guys in the bullpen whose ERA plus is the lowest one was 158. Wayne Granger was 158, Clay Carroll was 162, and a very 19-year-old, Don, and very young 19-year-old Donnie Gullett had a 172 ERA+. plus <laughs> At 19. That's fantastic. And, of course, you know, now Sparky really, you know, he only started two games that year. But, you know, and, and he, he, you know, he, had, he had a foreshadowing of greatness. I, he's another of what could have been. Oh, no question. No question. You know, but you, you look, and then, you know, in this team – the offense, I mean, they just came in and beat you to death. And, and and that was with two almost automatic outs in the lineup. When Tommy Helms and, and they, had a, they played kind of a three-headed monster at shortstop that year. Concepcion ended up getting most of the playing time by late in the year. But early in the year, Cheney got some playing time and Woodward Wood, got some. Woodward, yeah. But, you know, Tommy Helms wasn't a very good player that year. Um, you know, and his, you know, but... You, you look at the, you know, the bench won the MVP. Perez had as good a year as bench did offensively, uh, almost. I mean, you know, it's nip and tuck. Uh, it was bench's first MVP, just to note, uh, and he was yeah. 22 years old. Yeah. 
You know, Pete had a good year. Pete Bob who? Pete, Pete, uh, I don't re- Pete who? Oh, number, Rose, Rose, Pete Rose. Number 14, nobody wants oh, to wear that right, number. yeah, that guy. <laughs> Unless maybe, he said, as he said the other day at the ballpark, I was, if his grandson makes the big leagues, he wants his grandson to be able to play, wear number 14. Well, that'd be just fine. That'd be just fine. <laughs> but, you know, Bobby Tolan had a heck of a year for him. And Carbo was second in the, in the league in, in, in rookie of the year voting. Uh, I mean, he had a, a 1.04 OPS. And Carbo, 22 years old, goes back to what you were saying about Alex Johnson. When he was traded, you know, Carbo slid right into that spot in left field and was just a revelation at age 22. 310 well, average. They, they, they platooned left field that year. Carbo played, and Hal McCray was the other side of that platoon, who was a pretty fair country hitter himself in the big leagues. Oh yeah, yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, but you, you had two. You had Carbo at twenty-two, who got uh, played one hundred twenty-five games. Um, and you're right. Um, McCray played seventy games, and he was only twenty-four. Yeah. But uh, you were starting to see some of these guys filter through. Uh, obviously, Rose and uh, and Tommy Helms and Tony Perez were were guys for, that came up through the Reds. But you know, Bernie Carbo in, in the sixty-five draft. Bernie Carbo was a first-round pick, and Johnny Bench the number two pick. And at age 22, these guys are not just starting, but really stars in the big league at that point. Uh, Carbo never reached the heights, obviously, of bench, but he was, he was good that year. And so you're really starting to see the seeds of the big red machine. Absolutely. They, uh, the, the, uh, the, and even the bench was, you know, McCray, when he wasn't starting, Jimmy Stewart was a good bench player. Ty Klein was on this team that year, and he was—he had a really good year off the bench for the Reds, and was one of the—it was part of the maybe the con- most controversial World Series play for the Reds, other than the Ed Armbruster play in '75 uh, in Game One of the World Series. Uh, Carbo on third, Klein had a chopper. Hendricks has the ball. He tags Carbo with the glove, and the ball's in his hand. Right, right. You know. Sparky, and, and, and that's that, that's one of the things. If you've never seen the tape of Sparky Anderson arguing with the umpire after that play, Sparky never said a cuss word. He didn't say one cuss word as he's arguing with his ump. In the World Series, Game 1, I mean, if you can't love Sparky Anderson for that, you know. <laughs> oh, Sparky. We love Sparky for many reasons. Um you mentioned Jimmy Stewart a second ago, not to really shift too far away, but Jimmy Stewart, uh, you know, had a played in 101 games, but only had 116 plate appearances that year uh, as sort of a utility guy off the bench, and, and had a good year. He, he was mostly a pinch hitter. They, yeah, that, he, he, I, I bet you, and I don't know if you can look that up. I bet he didn't play a whole lot of defense. No, I'm sure of it. Uh, but a good story is 30 years later, Jimmy Stewart was uh, an advanced scout in the Reds organization. And the story goes that at the time, our, our buddy Tom Brenneman was actually a, a Cubs announcer, but he was during the playoffs, uh, he'd come back to do nightly sports reports uh, on television in Cincinnati. And he was in Lupinella's office right before, uh, a day or two before the, the World Series when the Reds were getting ready to play the Oakland Athletics. And Panella, as the story goes, pointed at uh, the advanced scouting report from. Uh, from Jimmy Stewart, who had put together the whole package on the A's and what you know, strengths, weaknesses, how to pitch guys, things like that. And Stewart basically told Pinella, and Pinella told Brenneman, "You guys are going to kick the A's, whatever." Uh, said you all match up very, very well with this team. And uh, this was supposedly right before the World Series. Uh, Jimmy Stewart predicted that the Reds were just going to blow the Athletics out of the water, based upon the, their particular strengths and the Reds' particular strengths, mostly power arms, I think, that could counter uh, those those big bashers for Oakland. So there's, that's my Jimmy Stewart story, such as it is. Oh, I thought you were going to do a Jimmy Stewart impression, you know. <laughs> oh, man, that would be even worse. But you're welcome to try that if you'd like. <laughs> uh, I, I know. But the other thing is, looking at the, the one thing, two things I like about this, looking at this. One is you're looking at the guys that are going to be the basis of the trade that, that become the – turns this team into the big red machine. You see these guys on here. Lee Mays on this team. Tommy Helms is on this team. Jimmy Stewart's on this team. Um, the other thing I like looking at when you look, look at these rosters is you see names on here that, A, that you've never, you don't even remember hearing. 
And the other one is there's a guy that played for this team, and he only played in three games. Well, he only batted in three games. Wait a minute. He pitched in three games. Bo, the world famous Bo Belinsky was on this team. <laughs> Bo Belinsky, the do immortal. You know Bo, do you know who Bo Belinsky is? I have no idea who Bo Belinsky is. He threw is. the first no hitter for the California Angels. Really? Oh, yeah. He was a famous Hollywood guy when he plays for the Angels. And I can't remember how he ended up on the Reds. But I, I do not rem- did not remember him being on this team. There's also a guy named John Noriega on this listed. No idea. Jay Ward, no idea. Now you see your first, you get your first glimpse of a very young, a twenty-three-year-old Bill Plummer, who ended up being a backup catcher for the Reds for the Big Red Machine. And they must have at least, I'm, I'm assuming, some of this was September call-ups with probably like Bill Plummer, because Pat Corrales was the backup catcher for bench. I think you're making up some of these names. Uh... But the, the funny thing about Pat Corrales was, and again, I'm dipping back into my brain here. He was one, you know, and, and you used to hear this a lot about guys that were playing behind great players, and these guys would all say, well, he's playing behind bench. If he played on another team, he'd start, you know, anywhere else. And they traded him, and he didn't start anywhere else. <laughs> right. He did become, <laughs> I think he won the World Series as manager of the Phillies, though, I believe. Uh, wasn't he their manager when they won in 83, maybe? Wasn't he? I think he might have been. He was their manager. I think it was when they won the World Series. Maybe not. But the the other thing, two things that I want to I want to talk about here, and as I was looking at the like when the Reds beat the Pirates in the in the in the NL playoffs, they beat them three games to none, but every game was close. And in the in the third game in the ninth inning, the Pirates pinch ran for Roberto Clemente. Wow, <laughs> that jumped right out at me. Which game? The third game. The third game in the ninth inning. So that was Clemente's last game ever. No, that was seventy two. Oh, was it? I thought I thought it was seventy. I thought okay. that was seventy-two. I think I think when Bench hit that home run over his head in Game oh, Five. Oh, you're right. You're right. You're right. Um, and, and as you said in the World Series, Brooks Robinson was just unconscious. I mean, he anything that was within three miles of third base, he caught, no matter how hard it was hit. I mean, Bench and May and Perez were hitting rockets all series, and he just caught everything. Yeah, yeah. You know, I. Obviously, I didn't see the series, but growing up, the highlights of that series always you could tell when Bench was Bench would come up, hit a rocket, and Brooks Robinson would make some kind of crazy play. Uh, that series probably did more to make Brooks Robinson's uh, reputation uh, than anything else because it, it sure didn't hurt. It hurt him getting into the Hall of Fame. It sure didn't. No, I mean because uh, here we are, thirty years later. Uh, good, I think I said thirty years later. It's forty years later. Yep. Goodness gracious. And almost fifty years later. Oh my goodness! Um, but you yeah. got to remember that that um, this is this is where I think the Reds started realizing they they moved into a new ballpark, which was going to change their style of play. And they went into the World Series. They got a big, they got beat by a team that had some really good pitching, and they realized that they were going to have to strengthen their pitching staff. And I think they you know they went out and got Billingham in seventy two. You know the seventy one's kind of a lost year. Uh, for a lot of reasons, and we could talk about those some other time. The, the injury of Bobby Tolan in '71, I think, really took a lot of, and, and, and Bench had a terrible year. Um, I think, if I remember right. Um, but you, you look they, at, just quickly. You're right about that pitching. The Orioles pitching: Jim Palmer, Mike Cuellar, uh, Dave McNally. Yeah, three 20 game winners. I don't remember who the fourth starter was. And a couple of years later, sometime in the seventies, they had four twenty-game winners. Yeah, with Pat, I think Pat Dobson was the other one at that time. The immortal. Yeah, that, that, you know, and then you know, of course, you know, they win the World Series in seventy, and then and then the Oakland A's take over. Mm-hmm. And then you know, seventy-two series. The seventy-two series, I did not sleep all night that night when we lost Game Seven, and I have never forgiven Bobby Tolan. <laughs> Fifty years later, or whatever it is. <laughs> But, you know, I think about 70, 72, 73. Uh, 73, they just ran into a buzzsaw in the Mets pitching staff. But, but, they, ran, they ran into Seaver, Kuzman, and Matlack. And, and oh yeah. they beat Seaver in game one, but that was, and they only beat him two to one on home runs by Rose and Bench. But you think about how much greater the legend of the Big Red Machine would could have easily have been. I mean, and even, you know, 77, 78, 79, they were right there. 
Yeah, in the 72 series, they should have won. Yeah. Uh, 73, like I said, in the playoffs, they, they had no right to lose to the Mets in the playoffs. But, you know, you run into, as we've found over the, you know, we've talked about this a million times, you run into a good pitching staff in a short series, it's tough. You know, anything can happen. Absolutely. So, But that 1970 team was a, a fun team, and that was a team that really sort of uh, caused you, you were already in love with the Reds, but that really caused you to fall deeply in love with them. Oh, absolutely. And that, that's, you know, and when they moved from, from Crosley to Riverfront, and, and I think that's when, Housem started seeing that they're going to have to they're going to have to play faster. That you know they're going to have to get faster on defense. Uh, you know, uh, but, you know. So a couple years later, you got Joe Morgan playing second base instead of Tommy Helms. You got David Concepcion maturing at shortstop. Uh, yeah, like Geronimo. Geronimo playing center field, who I think is the best center fielder I've ever seen play for the Reds. Uh, Other than Billy Hamilton. Uh, Billy is <laughs> Billy, Billy couldn't hold Cesar Geronimo's tomahawk. Oh my goodness! I'm going to name this the Billy Hamilton podcast just for that. <laughs> Here's what I'll say in comparing the two: Billy Hamilton does not have anywhere near the arm that Cesar Geronimo had. I won't argue with that. I won't argue um, with that. But you know, you, you started. You're starting to see, and I and I and it'll be, it'd be interesting. And I didn't do this, and probably should look at the changes to the roster from '70 to '71 and see. You know what they started to do because we all know what happened between seventy one and seventy two, um, but you know you wonder how good this team could have been if Maloney hadn't gotten hurt early. You know, and then you're not you don't have a, a, a Tony Kloninger in the starting rotation, even though down the stretch, from what I remember off the top of my head, and I didn't look this up in the in the in the you know the the, uh, the scheduling results. But I remember Kleininger getting a lot of starts and a lot of them on short rest late in the season because guys were so beat up. Yeah. You know, I'm looking here at uh, the wins above replacement for that team. And, uh, you know, Don Gullett, 19 year old re- relief pitcher, two and a half wins above replacement. Um, yeah, and Sparky kind of hit him. I mean, he, he didn't really let him, he, he kind of held him back. Gary Nolan, almost five wins above replacement. I mean, that's. That's that's crazy good. Uh, yeah, Bobby- I'm looking at I'm looking at Tony Cloninger here, and through the end of July, he had 17 appearances. He had seven in August, and he had six in September. So he had 13 in the last two months of the season. So he he was shooting. He, you know, he he pitched up, and they got these days of rest. He pitched twice on no days of rest. One time on two days of rest, six times on three days of rest. So, so by the end of the year, their, their pitching staff, from, from what my memory tell reminds me, is was pretty banged up. Must have been, and they were yeah. they were they were leaning on on uh, Tony Kloninger and Jim McLaughlin a lot late in the season because Simpson didn't pitch hardly at all in the second half. Boy, they could have used could have used Maloney, no doubt about that. Oh yeah, and you know, and, and late in the year, you know, they brought Milt Wilcox. Who gave him some good innings? Now it was only five games. I gave him twenty-two innings, but he—I remember him being pretty good in the playoffs. And I don't remember if it was a seventy playoffs I'm remembering, or whether it was later than it might have been seventy-two. I'm looking at uh, Lee May at age twenty-seven. This will be my last comment on the seventy Reds with an Adam Duvall special season, uh, thirty-four home runs, but only twelfth on the team in wins above replacement at one point nine, thanks mostly to an on-base percentage of two ninety-seven. Except that's not Adam Dunn like. Not the base percentage. Adam Duvall. If I said Adam Dunn, I meant to say Adam Duvall. Yeah. No, Adam Duvall is what I meant. Um, you may have said that. I may have. Well, I heard. I heard Adam, and I immediately went. To <laughs> Whenever I say the word Adam, usually Dunn is the next word. Uh, <laughs> but even that thirty-four home runs from May, only third on the team in home runs because Bench had forty-five yeah. and Perez had forty. Four? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they had they had they had three guys with OPSs over nine hundred. Bench, 22 years old, 35 doubles, 45 homers, 148 RBIs. Goodness gracious, what a year. I think that, what is that? Is that like second on the team all time in, in RBIs, I think? I'm not even sure. I'm not sure about that one. I, I think it's something like that. I can't, I, I can't remember where to look up that up real quick. I think, Adam, I, think, I think Adam Dunn had 214 RBIs. When, oh, no, I'm thinking about strikeouts. <laughs> 
you know, it, the, the number of, of things that this team could do offensively, and, and like you said, and they were young. I mean, the, the oldest guy that's listed here as a starter is, is Helms and Rose at 29. Right, and Helms would be gone. Uh, and Helms would be gone in two years, yeah. replaced by, I would assume, I think Joe was a little younger than Helms. I, I'm not sure about that without looking. Yeah. Um, the oldest guy on the team were, were Stewart and Klein. And and they and they aren't you know they weren't around much longer. Uh, the pitching staff was really young. Ray Washburn was one of the relief pitchers. He was thirty two. But it, it was a fun team to watch. I mean, they used to just beat people's brains in. I mean, you know, and as and like I said, as the season went along, they uh, the pitching staff struggled, uh, and so the offense it became more important later in the year. Um, they only had one month below 500. They went 14 and 15 in August. They're, they were they were 16 and six in April, 20 and eight in May, 16 and eight in June, 20 and 12 in July. Then they get let off, they let, took their foot off the gas and went 14 and 15 in August. Then they finished September 15 and 11. They beat the Dodgers 13 out of 18 games. They beat Houston 15 out of 18 games. Wow. Especially with the Dodgers, because the Dodgers would end up becoming, it would be such a rivalry. Well, and, and Atlanta, who'd won the, the division a year before, they beat them 13 out of 18. They, they basically, other than San Diego, weren't, well, they, they, they split with the Giants, who were in their division at the time, and they played less than 500 ball against the, 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 the cellar-dweller Padres, who they went 8 and 10 against. But against the top teams in the division, Houston and, and the Dodgers and, 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 the, and the Giants, they played 500 ball or much better in Atlanta. I mean, the three Houston and, and, and the Dodgers in Atlanta, they beat up on. Yeah, that was a that was some kind of team. Unbelievable to look back at them. Um, and actually, you've told me a number of things that I didn't even realize about this. And I can see why you fell in love with them, and, and why the National League must have been just terrified of what this young team was going to accomplish the next few years. They also went from 12th in attendance in '69 to second in attendance in '70 in the National League. That's what winning will do for you, right? Yeah. And a new stadium. You win and they'll cut. Yeah, well, that's the other thing. They went from a, what I got probably, I don't remember what Crosley was. I'd say it was probably twenty five or 28000 to 55000 at Riverfront. The other thing, I'm looking at the game-by-game -game results right now. The interesting thing is to look at the times of the games. To the first. All during the day? During the day? Well, no, no. I mean the time, the game time, how long the game took. Oh, I see what you're saying. Uh, it wasn't until April the 16th the day of the game that took over three hours. I mean, I'm, and I'm seeing, you know, one hour and 58. Wayne Simpson against Don Sutton. Reds beat the Dodgers 3 to nothing on April the 9th, and it was an hour and 58 minutes. You would never, ne you'll never again see a game that, that short. Another Wayne Simpson game on April the 24th where he got beat 3-1 to one was an hour and 59 minutes. I mean, there's some of them that are two hours and seven minutes, hour 57, another Wayne Simpson game. He must have worked fast. <laughs> he must have. He beat the Cardinals five to one in a game that took an hour and 57 minutes. Wow. It's sort of like I always think of Tom Browning. Get the ball and throw it. Yeah. I mean, that's amazing. Heck, they didn't even got the time to get the beer cold in the, in the vending. There's, an, there's another Wayne Simpson game on July the 5th, an hour and 53 minutes. They won three to one. Wow! Gary Nolan game an hour and fifty seven. Here's one where Jim Merritt threw. They won in a five to nothing hour and forty six minutes. That's amazing. It really is. It really is crazy. You'll never see that. I'm going. That's to why they could. You know that. And that's why that back then they could start at eight oh five or eight fifteen. Right. Because kids could still get home and get to bed on time. You wouldn't yeah. have kids getting home at midnight. Well, that's why you know what I hate those Sunday night games because they don't start till like eight thirty. I don't think. Yeah. Here's a four. Now here's a four-hour game. Of course, it was 15 innings. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they, the the three-hour games are so rare they jump out. I mean, here's yeah. there was a three-hour and 33-minute game on April the 18th. I mean, it's just amazing to me how fast the game was played then. Well, no, you know, television commercials. You know, yeah, uh, absolutely. Um, and of course, not as much of the preening and uh, stepping out of the box and yeah. and all that as well because the camera. Two hours, 
I'm a I'm a back to back games on July fifth and sixth of one minute, an hour fifty three, an hour four oh three in a row. Hour fifty three, hour forty six, and an hour fifty seven. Three games in a row. Wow. Of course it helps when your when your pitchers only give up one run in three games. Yeah, that helps the games to move a little bit quickly. Definitely. So any final thoughts about that nineteen seventy team, Bill? I wish they'd won the World Series. Well, there's nothing, nothing I can do about that one, but uh, certainly I, I think one of the best teams, regardless of whether they won the World Series, one of the best teams in Reds history, and and a good one to start off uh, with our team retrospective. Yeah, absolutely, years. it's it, it was it's got the bait, you know, it's got the building blocks of the big red machine, and, and yet enough you see enough of the weaknesses, do you understand why they made the moves they made? Yeah, absolutely. So that's a that's a fun team to look at. All right. Well, I think that's going to wrap it up for us here on uh, Red Lake Nation Radio. Any final thoughts about anything we've talked about today, Bill? Um, Billy Hamilton has to learn how to hit. Oh, come on. Billy Hamilton is a <laughs> superstar. He's a comic book superhero. Without uh, the cape. I'm telling you, Bill. We're going to have to work on you next time. Next time. Uh, <laughs> thank you all for listening to Red Lake Nation Radio, episode number 138. Uh, the title will be something when once I decide on it was something cleverly including Billy Hamilton. Um, as you know, you can subscribe on iTunes. Uh, we also uh, the RSS feed will be up on the at redlegnation.com where if you use whatever your podcast device is, you can subscribe. Yeah, if you do subscribe via iTunes, or even if you don't, go to, go to iTunes and uh, give us a rating and a review if if you could. Uh, as we always say, if you like us, tell tell people about us. You know, the, the audience has really grown here the last few weeks, and I'd like to keep that momentum up. If you like us, tell people about us. If you don't like us, keep your mouth shut. Um, you can uh, you can read us at redlegnation.com every day uh, on Twitter, at redlegnation. Um, uh, Bill, you've not been on Twitter much lately. We're going to have to get you back on Twitter. Yeah, I'm, I'm keeping a low profile. <laughs> at Bill Redleg N. I'm at Dotson C, D-O-T-S-O-N-C, uh, on Twitter. And redlegnationradio.com is where you can find all past episodes of the program. Bill, as always, it's been a blast, buddy. Love doing it, man. Well, we'll do it again very soon then. For Bill Lack, this is Chad Dotson saying so long, everyone.